0: The 2020 Giro d'Italia is here at last, and Flow Bikes is the place to be. Watch all 21 stages of the Cosa Rosa live and on demand in the US and Canada.
1: In addition to the live broadcast, viewers will get behind-the-scenes look at the race with exclusive interviews, in-depth previews, expert analysis, rider features, and
0: more. And that's not all. Other upcoming events include the Tour of Flanders, Ghent Wevelgem and so much more. Don't miss out on the craziest fall of cycling ever.
1: And when you purchase a FlowBike subscription, you'll get access to the entire Flow Sports network of over 25 sports. Don't miss out. Sign up at flowbikes.com
0: slash Fizzo. That's F-L-O-bikes.com forward slash Fizzo.
1: Race every race like it's your last. I'm sure at some point we've all heard that kind of a cliche in one form or another during our lives. However, for the women's peloton in 2020, no sentiment could ring more true. Today, we sit down with Kashia Niwiyadoma from Canyon Shram to hear from her just what it's like to be approaching each race day as if it's her last. This week on Put Your Socks On. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton, and as per usual programming, I am joined by Bobby J. Bobby, how you been doing?
0: Doing good here, Gus. So suddenly, it definitely feels like it's fall here in in South Carolina. Uh, happened quite suddenly. Time to break out the the undershirts, the arm warmers, the knee warmers. But for me, as long as it's sunny, I'm I'm ready to go. I need that that vitamin D. My youngest daughter, Chloe, had her birthday this last weekend, so another one of those ticked off the list, so always something going on here at the Julek household. How are you doing in Colorado?
1: Mate, I'm doing well. As you said, the season has changed in fall this year. The leaves are changing, and the weather is cooling off, which is nice, I must say. I I quite enjoy the fall, a little cooler. Uh, We've had plenty of smoke here, unfortunately. Those wildfires still burning out in the west, so my... You know, my thoughts are with everybody out there going through that. But, mate, one thing that did happen was, well, one thing that seems like it hasn't really stopped happening is the racing. There's just been a consistent stream. I haven't really broken my morning routine of, of, uh, wake up, watch a couple of hours of bike racing, and then kind of go on about my day. Tell us what's been happening in, in a week of pretty frantic, pretty odd bike racing.
0: Yeah. Like you said, it's kind of hard to talk about. Things chronologically because these races were actually overlapping each other. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the Bink Bank Tour, which mm-hmm. is the old anico Tour. And just to, you know, jibe TJ Vanguarder in a little bit, this is a race that I actually won. <laughs> I did win the Aneco Tour back in 2005. So, TJ, if you're listening, that's one more of the races that I won that I didn't get to put my hands up at the finish line. So, Take that, big fella. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, stage one sprint finish. uh, Jesper Philipsen from Belgium riding for the UAE Emirates team wins in a very impressive sprint over ex-world champion Mads Pedersen and Pascal Ackerman. I mean, these guys are on a roll now, but here's another 22-year-old sprinter who is actually signed for Matteo Vanderpool's team, Alpes and Phoenix, for the next two years. I mean, the, these young guys are just killing it. I mean, being twenty-two or twenty-three right now must be a great feeling. Then then the race almost hit a major roadblock with stage two being canceled due to the the COVID restrictions in the Netherlands. And I was starting to think like, oh boy, is, is this it? Like, did these guys not do the world championships thinking that they were going to do this race and then not have the race t- going on? But luckily they were able to right the wrong. They moved fr- the, the stages from the Netherlands over to Belgium. And stage three, Mads Pedersen flips the script on Jesper Philipsen and Pascal Ackerman. So he wins uh, stage three, stage four, was a time trial that was also scheduled, supposed to be in um, in the Netherlands, which moved over to Belgium, and Tour de France sensation Sorenkra Anderson shows us that he's still on mega form, finishing ahead of Stephen Stephen Kung in in that. So things look like they were, you know, thereabouts. Peterson had the jersey. All look good, and then stage five comes around. Matteo Vanderpool decides to take the bull by the horns and takes off 50 kilometers from the finish and holds off all all of his competition, winning the stage and taking the overall. I mean, that's that's making luck happen. You know, some people say that luck is a big part of racing, but if you make your own luck like he did today, that's that's one of that's one of the impressive rides of the year for sure.
1: And the time on the finish line, 50K solo, he was only four seconds in front of Olivia Nason. So the group was coming from behind uh, pretty close. So talk about uh, a mammoth effort. And I feel like along with, you know, riders in their very early 20s um, are very much in vogue right now. I feel like long solo breakaways are also in vogue right now. I can't remember uh, a season where we've seen so many long bombs come to fruition.
0: But with that much on the line, I, I can't imagine that they couldn't close the gap, but they, they didn't. <laughs> it was a, a great ride of the year, for sure. And then midweek, we start the Ardennes classics with the women's flesh Wallonne, and Evander Bregen wins her sixth straight flesh in the World Championship jersey. What can you say? I mean, so much for the curse, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, another exceptional ride from Anna van der Breggen. Uh, And I mean, sixth straight. I remember thinking before, I think Valverde's had four straight maybe, and just trying to wrap my head around being able to, at the same race with the same finish, You know, being obviously the most marked rider, just being able to outperform everyone four times in a row. But I didn't realize that Anna had done it five and now six, so... An exceptional I mean, yeah, just beyond words, uh, performance there.
0: And then on to the the men's flesh wallone. Here we go, talking about Mark Hershey again. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what a bad man. <laughs> um just so calm, confident. Uh, you know, Richie Port did seem a little bit overconfident and went from a long way out like he would on like Walunga Hill down in in the tour down under, but maybe lacks that experience on on that finish. And here she had somebody in his ear telling him the right thing because he just did a picture-perfect move. Very, very patient, then waited right to the end. And you know wins very impressively ahead of a guy that maybe was getting a little bit of flack, Benoit mm. Kosnafoy. He was in the jersey. Remember, he was the guy that was in the jersey for in 15 KOM days, forever, the, K- yeah. the KOM, and getting dropped there at the end of the tour. But he just showed why he had that jersey for 15 days. He's very good at those explosive finishes. And rounding out the podium was, was Michael Woods. It looked like Michael had the drop on him, but then here she just uh, was, was too strong in the end. Uh, one thing I'd like to, to mention is Matteo Jorgensen from Movistar finished 32nd, only 35 seconds behind the the winner Mark Hershey. And we also had Will Barta, Ben King, Alex Howes, Quinn Simmons, and Ian Garrison finish, albeit a little bit further down. But those guys getting experience in a race like Flesh Wallone is definitely gonna be be a benefit in their future.
1: Yeah, I can't, I feel like hindsight, you know, the expression hindsight is 2020, right? And in if you to look at Mark Hershey, you can't help but think this has all been part of some calculated perfect master plan, right? Because he's sort of, as we've expressed in your times, kind of come from nowhere, but he has all of this, all of the qualities of, of a really seasoned, you know, well-worn winner. And that finish there in the men's flesh for was a perfect example of that.
0: And on a on a different note, I think we we should touch a little bit on this, this Quinn Simmons issue. Mm. It looks like this may be the last time that we see or hear of him uh this season. What uh what happened with those that that tweet that he made in your opinion? And right. was was this the the correct I guess response by his his team?
1: Well, I think... Um, I mean, in short, absolutely, I think the team had to do something. And I don't... This is an issue that's obviously in the US, very um, prominent, but then particularly right now around the world, right, with everything that's going on, be it race-related, be it COVID-19-related. So I think, absolutely, the team had to do something. I think what they've done is the right thing in removing him from racing um, and, and kind of pulling him off line. What I think it points to is a bigger issue right and and well not a bigger issue but this is sort of a byproduct of bringing a child right 18 years of age and taking him straight from from that level from from that world and plotting, plon- plonking him right into into the world tour and at the forefront on a world stage with the world platform and then just letting him go right and it's pretty clear that that Quinn Simmons obviously in entitled to his uh opinions what he said was undoubtedly Um, terrible and wrong and and he should be reprimanded for that but i also think that the team has a responsibility here because he's obviously not been reined in we've seen instances of this going on for the past several months if anyone pays attention to to this this bike rider and nothing was really done so i think that you know there needs this needs to happen but i also think it uh, you know we need to maybe take a look at what I guess, like, what kind of a grandstand are we giving um, these young kids, and do they really realise, you know, the effect and the impact of of their words? Right. Clearly, he didn't, and and clearly, what he said is 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 disgusting. But or what he did, sorry, but um, but also too, I think that that everyone needs to have a look at themselves in this situation, um, and kind of maybe rethink social media and those sort of things. And it's a real shame because as we've seen over the course of the shutdown uh, or the lockdown, sorry, social media has been a way for fans to be able to stay connected with their heroes and with their athletes. And we've been able to get a glimpse into people's lives. And, you know, someone saying someone, you know, kind of essentially being, being uh, outwardly racist via that platform, you can now tell that teams are going to start looking at Okay, how do we restrict writers access? Do we restrict writers' access? Do we, you know, monitor what they say? All these sort of things, which I think all of those things, seeing the personality and everything, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the time is a positive. And in this case it's a negative and, and there's action being taken. And, you know, I guess we will see what the outcome of that is as as that plays out. But it certainly demonstrates that there is A global issue of racism and it does need to be addressed and we do need to talk about it and there should be no no place for it in in sport or or anything for that matter in society so yeah i guess we'll see how that one plays out
0: i agree with you there gus i agree but back to the women's Mm -hmm. racing with liege baston liege and spoiler alert anna vandenbregen didn't win the bike race. She's been <laughs> just on this tear. And um, no, she she had a little bit of an off day, it seemed like, at least for her. But Lizzie Danyan uh, did not. She went solo from the top of La Redoute mm-hmm. and basically had a grudge match with Grace Brown all the way to the line. Grace only finished nine seconds behind her. So the whole time from the La Redoute over Rochefacon, to the finish line, she could actually see her, and she couldn't close that gap. And wow, that that is a bike race, you know. When when two women square off like that, mano a mano, and from what I hear, Lizzie never looked back for a reason, and I love that. I I preach that to the riders that I work with. Is there's no if you're given a hundred percent don't look back because it really mm. changes nothing. But I bet you Grace was like, why isn't she looking back? Like, I'm right here. Maybe she'll hold up a little bit. But great, great win by, by her. Uh, Trek Segrafredo coming through with a big win. Um, Grace Brown was second from Michelton Scott and Ellen Van Dyke from Trek Segrafredo finished third. But I don't think anybody who didn't watch this, the men's liege Baston liege uh, missed out because it was, again, super, super competitive. There was a huge group over La Redoute, which seems to be common these days. But I tell you, back in the past when I was racing, that that was not the case. There was always, that seemed to be the decisive move. And yes, the course has changed a little bit and tactics. And I think just riders are just much more equal on a level playing field than they ever have been. But uh, so there was a big group coming over. Um the La Redoute, Ala Philippe attacks on Rocha Falcon. I mean, big surprise, right? Like he's going. He's, you know, probably got just a blinking light above his head. And when he goes, here she's the only one that can go across to him. And then Rolick made it. It took a little bit longer from Tade Pogachar, but he made it as, as well. And you see the creme de la creme. I mean, these guys all won stages in the tour. Two of them were on the podium of the tour. Um, definitely the who's who. And they they were working together pretty well. I think they were quite confident they were gonna hold off the group. But then out of nowhere in the final sprint, um, uh, Mahoric from Bahrain McLaren comes up and was able to catch them. Did that typical move of right as I catch him, I'm just gonna hit him and hopefully catch him off guard. And that just falls right perfectly into Philippe's hands, right? Because he was kind of stuck on the front there from a little bit far out when they were, you know, lining up the sprint a little bit. So when he took off and Philippe got on his wheel, I'm like, it's a done deal. It's it's done. But what transpired in the next <laughs> 200 meters is just beyond imagination. I mean, first of all, he wound up giving a little quack to to Hershey, who almost crashed. He had to clip out of his pedal. And remember, this is like full speed sprints, so they're going, you know, 55, 60k an hour right, right now. And he has to clip out of his pedal. He basically takes himself and and uh Pogacar out of the mix. And then going on to 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 take a sure win, uh, apparently, decides in the world championship jersey to put his hands up with. I don't know, 15, 20 meters still to go, uh, you're not supposed to do that. And Primoz Rolich comes with a bike throw and pimps him right there at the end. I mean, when watching it with 200 meters, when he pulled that move and, and he or she had to pull out of his pedal, I'm like, okay, he, he's going to be disqualified. So I was actually paying more attention to second, third, and fourth than I was uh, a la Philippe. And then I see Rolik just roll him at the line. I mean, all this happened in 12 to 15 seconds. It was such a crazy end to a race. And they speak about the, the world champion curse. But um, you you couldn't have written a, a crazier script there in the in the final.
1: What a race. And uh, as you pointed out, Alaphilippe, quite the, well, quite, you know, gracious in his mistakes and, and he very much... Um, apologize for for the Hershey incident, and I'm sure he will be eating humble pie for a little while, and perhaps will rethink his uh, victory salutes, which I no doubt uh, we will.
0: we it happens quite often. It reminds it does, me of back in Milan San Remo when Eric Zabel posted up, and then Oscar Ferrer came by and, and pimped him right, pimped him right right on the line as well. Absolutely, but remember last week. When Julian won the Worlds, I said that he's going to be a good world champion. He's he's, And, and his, res, his response to what happened was incredibly mature. And I stand by the words that I said there. First of all, he apologized to, to Mark Hershey mm-hmm. because I do think Mark Hershey had a lot more to go there because the guy cl- clips out mid-sprint and still finishes third, then upgraded to second. And, and also just apologized to his, his team for, for doing something like that, took responsibility, said this is the first time and the last time this is ever going to happen. And to y- young kids out there with uh, aspiring aspirations to be professional cyclists, there, there'll be plenty enough time to celebrate once you cross the finish line. Don't be one of the, the stories because it happens in races of all categories all around the world. And part of you is just like that face palm emoji, right? Mm-hmm. You just want to slap your hand to to your forehead and go, how could you make that mistake? But remember, these guys are, you know, six and a half hours into the race, they're exhausted and making making some wrong decisions. But it definitely doesn't take away a beautiful Liege only Liege. And one thing that is amazing to me is that a Slovenian has never been on the podium of Liege-Bastogne-Liege. And this time, they get the win. Tadej Pogacar gets third. And Mawrik gets fourth. So there was three Slovenians in the top four. Like, what, what is going on with Slovenian cycling? I mean, they are just cruising right now. Another really interesting thing is um, Mateo van der Poel's stage six of the Bink Bank Tour. There was only five stages of the Bink Bank Tour, but he decided to make Liège-Bastogne-Liège the sixth stage of the Bink Bank Tour because he went from that 50-kilometer solo move to basically the next day starting Liège-Bastogne-Liège and finishing sixth. So I don't know about you, but he is going to be a major force to be reckoned with with the upcoming classics here soon. One of the real big bummers, though was Greg Van Avermaet hit a signpost, crashed into a signpost, and and unfortunately, his season is over. You know, he did the Tour de France. He did all these races with the cobbled Classics in mind, Tour of Flanders, Roubaix, and unfortunately, because of another piece of road furniture, he's he his season is over, which is um, a major bummer, to say the least, and we wish him all the best uh, in his recovery, and hopefully he can... Um, get ready for, for next year. And one other thing is, that was Richie Port's last race for Trek Segrafredo. He's finished for the season. He had, obviously, a great Tour de France. He, he did well at Flesh wallone and finished his last race in 16th place just back, uh, what, 14 seconds from Hershey. Uh, I'm sorry, from that group of, of five and finished uh, in the second group. So good luck to, to Richie. I'm sure uh, Trek Segrafredo will, will miss him next year. But that's part of cycling. It's um, time to to get ready for his Team Ineos, second second, uh, going at Team Ineos next year.
1: Absolutely. And the other big race that kicked off over the weekend was the out-of-tune Giro d'Italia, which kicked off on Saturday with a rather long uh, individual time trial or prologue, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think it's any surprise here that Filippo uh, Ghana won that uh, with uh, an exceptional average speed of 58.8 kilometers an hour uh, ahead of Jao Alameda, who is, as you pointed out uh, to me, only 22, and then the young Mikael Bjerg, who is only 21. So, again, Ghana himself is only 24, uh, so top three there under 25, which is, I mean, exceptional, but we're kind of getting used to it now, aren't we?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And we do have eight riders in the Giro this year. We only had three in the Tour de France. So we have Joe Dombrowski, Brandon McNulty, Lawson Craddock, Joey Roscoff, Larry Warbas, Sean Bennett, Chad Hag- Haga, and Brent Bookwalter. So come on, boys. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's pop off some, some good results here. So yeah, Um, One more thing about the time trial. Obviously, Garrett Thomas uh, smoked that compared to the other GC contenders. But uh, Superman, Miguel Ángel López, crashed hard, setting up for a left-hand turn. It looked like he was coming off the bars and maybe going to shift gears, wound up slipping his hand off the bar and went headfirst into the barriers and was taken off in an ambulance. So his Giro was was over before it even started.
1: It was, but uh, all reports were... Uh, once getting a checkup at the hospital uh, no broken bones uh, and so you know uh, despite the 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 severe impact he uh, doesn't have any bones to recover so relatively all right stage two and they weren't mucking around when they uh, did the route for this year's Giro 15k opening time trial as I said stage two final five kilometers quite a steady but nonetheless uh, quick drag uphill to the finish Where we saw Diego Ulissi take the victory there. Alan Piper mentioned him last week.
0: Yeah, uh, you know we were asking about that team. Obviously, when you win a a race like the the Tour de France, that gives your teammates that that extra gear, that extra motivation. And this was not just gifted over to him. Uh, His teammate really helped him out, wound it up made a selection, and then he was able to come over the top of Peter Sagan. So um, congratulations to him. And, you know, yeah, like you said, Alan Piper gave us a heads up for sure. But, um, you know, Full Song loses another teammate in stage two with uh, young Alexander Vlasov having to stop because of stomach issues. So, man, he may have to pull a, a Pokachar or a Richie Port in the Giro if he wants to go for for the overall because he's already down two very, very, very strong uh, support riders in the mountains.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think he's certainly up against it. But then, of course, stage three comes along uh, to the top of the gigantic Mount Etna, uh, 18-kilometer climb to the finish there. And in the neutral zone, the race for the general classification gets tipped on its head again.
0: Yeah, I, I I was shocked when I started watching and all of a sudden heard that he had crashed in the neutral zone. And you just hope that in the neutral zone, it's just like pull your foot out or, you know, just, you know, roll over a curb or something like that. But obviously, it was a little bit more serious than that because he had he had this race almost in the bag already. And man, he wound up losing 12 minutes today. But great racing today by EF Pro Cycling's Jonathan Cashedo. This guy had missed the move. The, the breakaway was forming off the front, and he was able to, to bridge up to that, uh, albeit a little bit late. And then he dropped his uh, breakaway companion, the last of them, Gianni Visconti, uh, about 5K from the top, and winds up winning, a, winning the stage. And I was yelling at my flow bike's, feed on my my phone because I knew how close it was going to be. And I'm like, man, this kid better drive it all the way to the line, throw his bike if he has to. Because so often do we see people coming to the top of a mountaintop finish and they'll put their, their hands up five, 10 meters before, but going uphill, you're going to lose a second or two if you do that. But it was great to see him drive all the way to the line. And unfortunately, it wasn't enough. He didn't take the jersey. Instead, that honor goes to Joao Almeida from Quick Quickstep. Obviously did a great, great time trial. and But they're tied on time. It was that close. I wonder how they actually decided that. Because, you know, is it hundredths of a second or, yeah. or whatnot? But, you know, great start for EF. Have you seen their jerseys? Pretty amazing
1: yeah yeah palace skateboards uh which is obviously a skate brand um and kind of totally out of left field uh that collaboration came i know there is a relationship between rafa and palace um with some of the people that work there they've been there's there's a a personal relationship there but to to use the world tour team to kind of announce that that collaboration seemed rather odd but I'm down with it. I'm I'm into it. I mean, I can't say that I'm like loving the kit, but I'm loving the idea of that collaboration and also to just doing something slightly different that isn't just driven by the sponsor. It's kind of driven by, um, you know, some sort of style.
0: Yeah, I agree. I as soon as I saw it and by the way, kudos to them for keeping that sort of thing under wraps for so long because normally somebody gets leaked and it's out, you know, days before that they're actually going to do that. I didn't see that into the team presentation and then I was like, "Gosh, that's non-typical <laughs> riding attire." I I to say it nicely, right? Like I was kind of blown away, but I I agree. I think it's uh something out of the ordinary that maybe our, our our sport needs. And what a way to start off that new relationship with getting a stage win on on stage three, you know, more power to them.
1: The 2020 Giro d'Italia is here at last and Flow Bikes is the place to be. Watch all 21 stages live and on demand in the US and Canada.
0: In addition to the live broadcast, viewers will get a behind the scenes look at the race with exclusive interviews, in-depth previews, expert analysis rider features and more
1: and that's not all other upcoming live events include the tour of flanders ghent Wevelgum and so much more
0: subscribe today by going to flowbikes.com slash
1: that's f-l-o-bikes.com forward slash p-y-s-o Today's guest is a professional with canyon Tran. Having burst onto the women's professional scene at just 19 years of age, Kasia has never been far from the front of the peloton. Never far from the front of the race during the disrupted 2020 season, we have seen her snag some of of her most outstanding results, not the least of which was at the recent Giro. So we sat down with Kasia to catch up on how her 2020 season is progressing. G'day, Kasia, how you doing?
2: Hi, I'm good. I'm in Italy currently, resting, taking some time off after a very busy period of racing. And yeah, I'm, in general, I'm feeling good.
1: It seems as though, you know, yesterday you were in Belgium, I think. <laughs> um, today yeah. you're in Italy. <laughs> how's how's this, uh, the last couple of months of, of the new season been?
2: I feel as if I race just one giant race because basically we started at the beginning of August and the pressure was never going down. We had to be all the time in the top shape because also no one had known at that time, how long are we going to be racing for? So every race we would approach as if it was the last one. So basically like I can easily admit that the, the pace in the Peloton was super high in comparison to all the previous years, I feel like everyone was just so hungry to get the result and with that this like super short season was like very intense and very difficult difficult for your body and mind I would say.
1: How was that coming out of lockdown right I'm sure you've been asked this a million times but how did you spend your lockdown and then how was that adjustment that you had to make going into what was frantic racing?
2: It was so bizarre because at the beginning we were told that we we're gonna spend just two weeks like in complete lockdown, that we couldn't leave the house. So at that point I was like still motivated to train quite a lot of hours in a trainer. But then like with every passing week, they were extending the lockdown. So at the end of the day we spent like seven and a half weeks in a full lockdown. So I would say that in the middle, halfway through, I just decided to take it easy and I focus on my private life where I just felt that for the first time, not in my life, but ever since I started to ride my bicycle, I was able to taste like a normal people life where I would just like wake up and like, I was very present in the moment, not be thinking about tomorrow's training or race or like, I wasn't thinking ahead. And I feel like that was like a huge change for me when I realized that finally I'm not stressed and nervous and that really felt sweet. I, I was really rested.
0: Before we we go on to current day, I'm always very curious of how people get into the sport. And you just mentioned that you started to live life as a normal person, but that that happened to you before you became a pro. You kind of just got into the sport and then got better and better. You joined that super team, RobbleBank Live, when you were 19 years old back in 2013. Tell us a little bit about That decision to become a professional bike racer, to have such a um, hard lifestyle where sometimes the the years just kind of blend together. Being so young, that must have been an amazing experience starting with the, the women that you had on that team, the superstars that you had on that team.
2: So I would like to start with the fact that when I was like 15, that's when I started riding my bicycle which which wasn't like a proper training. I was just cruising around with with my dad mostly because that's how I started to write. I feel, I remember that there was the one moment when I started to look sucking up and I was looking for different girls that I would like to follow. And like out of nothing, I saw Marianne Vos. I started to follow her and then I was like dreaming and like really hoping that one day maybe I will be raised with her because she was like my idol. And like two years later... I got contacted from a team that I could ride with, Marian Voss. So I was like over demo, like just extremely happy knowing that Oh um, my, like, everything is possible in the life. I grew up in a very small town in the mountains in Poland. And like having this opportunity to be riding with the best riders in the world gave me so much strength, even though my English was very poor and I couldn't really communicate on a normal level. And I was scared as fuck to, to be leaving Poland, to being, living on my own somewhere in Holland. Having this chance to, to be almost there at the top was just like driving me crazy. I wanted to do everything just so I can be in the final with all those girls.
0: I, I love that because I, I often ask people that come on the show who, who was their inspiration. And I don't think you could pick, you know, a, a better inspirational character than, than Marianne Voss. But you, you were on that, the, the Rabobank Live team in 2013 to 2016 and then you switched to a team that I didn't know of back in 2017 the WM3 energy team with Marion Valls tell us tell us about that switch
2: so that wasn't much of a switch i would say cuz so Rabobank team lost their sponsor in 2016 Rabobank decided not to sponsor our team and any other sport in general so the stuff, like all the uh, members, not maybe all the members of the team, but like the main managers and sport directors stayed and they found a new, new sponsor, which was WM3. So basically Rubble belonged to Marion and three other Dutch persons. Everyone, a lot of people think that I changed the team, but basically I stayed in the same one. They just changed the, the main sponsor.
0: But then in 2018, you did actually make a switch to Canyon Shram, which is the team that you're on now. Tell us a little bit about that decision to to kind of you know lead a team, to go out on your own like that, to, to, to go to such a strong team.
2: That was a change that maybe I was needing at this time. Sometimes I feel like um, with every passing year, you change. Even when you don't notice that, I feel like I was growing in a way that I just felt that I don't fit in Dash team anymore. I was needing something else. I was needing, uh, other inspiration and motivation to like help me train harder. Cause I found myself, even though I had a great year, 2017, I found myself being, I don't know if I could say unhappy, but just weirdly unsatisfied with what I was doing. So joining Kenyan's Ram, like. Help me understand, or like, help me appreciate my passion to sport again, because I felt that oh, I'm with a new people. I want to impress them. I want to show myself from my a better side. You know, when you start working with completely new squad, you feel that you want to be perceived as a good person, like flawless person, let's say. So you get that extra motivation to to just perform, and it's hard to describe. But I feel like uh, at least in my uh, in my opinion, all the results comes from, like, feeling good and, like, strong in your mind. You know, like, I feel like there are so many girls who are on the same level, but if you get, like, this extra person of, like, being super motivated or inspired or just, like, ready to win the races, you can do that.
0: And and when you did, I mean, you have been kicking around the top level of the sport for a long time, but then you won Amstel Gold in 2019. How... You know, winning that big of a race, what did that mean to you personally? I mean, you kind of touched on it a little bit there. And and I totally agree that, you know, sometimes changing a team can not work out. But when it does, it's it's a lot of fun.
2: To be honest, I was very happy winning that race because then I was like, OK, now I understand who I am. I'm not a climber, as everyone was calling me, but I'm more like a classic rider. And that sort of that kind of a racing Like gives me so much joy and happiness when I'm in the shape. Of course, this year, Arden's Classics were brutal for me. But like when I know that I can prepare for that, it's the sort of racing I just love. Like Giro, for example, it's a race that a lot of people were telling me that I can be good at, but I never felt it. I never felt that I want to go for it, that I love this race, that I want to perform, or that I want to be a stage race winner. So definitely with winning so I was like, okay, that's a confirmation that actually I can do it.
1: And then I guess on what you just said, then right? Because you just said you didn't want to necessarily be using the Giro as an example, a GC yeah. rider. But then this year, this year you just finished second I'm in not- the Women's Zero. I'm I'm interested to know, like, can you talk us through that result a little bit? But then also, can you kind of tell us? You know you finished second there you're within striking distance of of winning how did that change the experience of of a multi-day race
2: so okay maybe sometimes i feel that i'm a little bit stubborn in my head thinking that i should be doing one thing and not the other ones and then i get distracted when people try to convince me to like doing so many different things this year giro it was like again we didn't know if it's our last race or not and basically, the GC was decided with the second stage, which was really brutal, had a lot of gravel, steep sections. So it, to me, I took it as if it was a classic race. I I was like, okay, that stage is like a, the last stage, what I have to do and perform to the fullest. And then I found myself like being in top three, and I just knew that I have to somehow keep it until the last day. And I had a really strong team, so that was very really nice. I felt a lot of support and I feel like this race, it's very special for so many women because this is like the only race that, that has 10 stages. So I felt that my entire team was really committed to, to make it happen. And myself and my team never achieved like being on the podium of a Giro. So that was like our extra motivation. But we were just like, Weirdly relaxed, I would say. Being like, okay, whatever is going to happen, it's going to happen. Because like a couple of years ago, I would... Or the last editions, I would be like the second or third uh, before the two last stages. And then I would drop to seventh or sixth position at the end. So I was like, a couple times, I already lost that battle, So I don't care if I do it this time or not. So it worked out.
0: So was it that mental... I guess, experience, because like you said, you took the, you know, the, the general classification was shaped after that hard, uh, second stage and having all those stages after it, were you going in there feeling confident or were you, was there a part of you, that little devil on your shoulder saying, Hey, you know, this has happened before this is going to happen again. And if, if that did happen, how did you, how did you overcome that? Because there was a lot going on in that race, um, after that second stage.
2: I got to admit that also I felt good. I felt that, okay, I'm in the shape. So like every day I just have to give my best. And basically, I don't know, I felt that uh, whenever I was struggling in my head, I was like, okay, just like shake it off and you got it. Like somehow I was strong mentally. I don't know if it comes with being in the shape because easy example like last race, flesh or dash, I really felt like a piece of crap and, My mental health was also like a piece of crap. It was really hard to motivate myself. So once you feel that, okay, you're there, you can really go for it. I don't know. It's like so much easier to be confident. And once you're confident, you're there. And also like my teammates, they they know me already. They know what I need. They know what kind of person I am. And sometimes they need freedom. Sometimes I just need to cruise on my own in the peloton, like I don't need any help because I get just frustrated seeing somebody. So know that they appreciate it, and that really helped me. Like, that helped me being there in the final.
0: But that's what I feel so sorry for you women and then the men coming out of the Tour de France. Normally you have some time to relish in what you just achieved, to reset the dials a little bit but you women and the guys coming out of the tour it was like okay on to the next one and that's got to be mentally quite difficult to jump right back into full-fledged racing with some of the women that didn't do the giro you know coming in fresh the guys you know doing doing these races with riders coming in fresh don't don't feel bad about that because i mean you only have so much energy left in the tank and I, I can imagine the mental um struggles going from, you know, being one of the top women finishing second in the Giro and then having to jump into the worlds, then jump into flesh, then jump into, into Liege. So, you know, I think that's that's a challenge for for everyone, but I mean to, for you to finish second on the podium of of the Giro is, is a fantastic result. And hopefully when you guys finally do have an off season and it sounds like maybe now you're going to have some time to recover a little bit, don't remember those last races where, you know, maybe like you said, you were in your own words feeling like crap. Remember what it was like to finish where you did in the Giro. But that's the bummer that you guys don't have this year is just no time to breathe.
2: Yeah. And that's true what you said. Sometimes I feel like we sat his kind of hard on ourselves. It's so hard to actually remember the good times. We're like, oh no, like the last race, I did feel good. And then you kind of carry on this like a down, I don't know, mood. You you don't feel good. You kind of start complaining. Which is actually hard to break sometimes, but it's good to remind yourself every now and then.
0: That's what photos on the internet are for. You know, you gotta go back and yeah. see some of those <laughs>
2: Yeah.
1: So tell me like you've, you know, you had obviously the success last year in in uh, Amstel Gold and then you've just had that recent success in uh the Giro. Has the success in the Giro, I know you said that you wanted to, you know, you felt yeah. like one day races were your home, but has that success changed that point of view? And and do you see yourself as maybe focusing on something like the Giro next year or are you just just going to kind of keep going with the flow?
2: To be honest, like right now, I feel that I miss winning the races. Like after our dance, I get this, I got this weird feeling being like, oh, sure. Like I really wanted to, you know, I just miss crossing the line first. And like I already think about the next year and I'm like, okay, I need to take a good rest and have a great preparation and then like hit our dance or like other classics in the in a top shape but then of course i'm like okay but then i'm gonna take rest and then i also want to be good for Jiro and olympic games so it's kind of like sometimes it's really hard to listen to yourself because the temptation is is hard to be winning races to be good at everything but when i'm really honest with myself I feel that I would like to, especially next year, prepare only for classics, like prepare for one-day races because I care about Olympic Games and also Worlds. And this is just a one-shot, you know, as like other classics. So I was talking with my sport director and we were considering skipping Giro at least next year because also I my body and i know that with every every single year whenever i would finish zero i would need like at least three weeks to recover properly like i would feel the the heaviness in my body for so long so i just wanna i just wanna see how how it would go if i'd be race this race
0: and in thinking of your phase plan that you just kind of outlined for us how how are you planning on dealing with this quick turnaround to you know doing the Giro and then finishing, you know, you just did Liège yesterday. You know, if if we do get back to a normal start of the season. Yeah. Um h- how do you plan on that that quick turnaround from going from doing a Grand Tour so late in the year to doing the World's the Ardennes Classics and then resetting the dials and and hopefully starting off with a new race schedule. That's it's got to be Tough because there's so much racing jam packed into August, September, and October here.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, but I, I feel like this year, as I said before, like no one had known, like, how long are we going to be racing for? So we all had a calendar in front of us, but we were like, maybe we will just do Strata and then season is over because you would hear so many different stories about coronavirus in different countries. So, it was, it's it's weird because it was like weirdly stressed but also relaxed because we were like, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, like we had already the experience from from the March where everyone was going to Strada Bianchi and suddenly the race was canceled and everyone went into lockdown. So I don't know. I feel like, to be honest, if I could go back in time, definitely I would do less preparation before, less hard trainings before Jiro. I would... Uh, approach this race being kind of like not in a greatest shape, but just like before picking and then like get stronger with the stages. Because like when I look at Anna van der Bergen for example, uh the second stage she did good, but then the like the middle stages she was always losing some time and like getting tenth or eleventh. But then like second last stage she was amazing, amazingly strong, and she came out of this race being strong. She showed it during Worlds. It's like. That shows me that actually she was thinking about the the race schedule and knowing what she want to achieve. So
0: I'm so glad that we got to ask you that question because you know Gus and I and every other armchair quarterback out there is just you know don't really think of what's going on inside everyone's heads that are actually doing this. And I I I would have found that very difficult, not knowing that next race coming up or not being sure because i'm a very organized person i kind of want to plan my outcomes and if it was just kind of like well this may be our last race we may as well go full gas here uh would it would have been tough would have been tough so thank you for letting us know what you what you women are are thinking about and had to deal with because you know we watch you you women on tv and we're like wow they're they're going fast but we never understood why everybody's going so fast and that puts it into perfect perspective
2: yeah to be honest like every team meeting before the race it would we would start like okay that might be our last race so it's try to give it all you know we never were really thinking about what's next
0: so switching gears a little bit here now, and, and again, congratulations for your amazing, awesome result in the Giro. But back on podcast number 59, we had Iris Slapendahl from the Cyclist Alliance with us. And she was a teammate of yours in the past. And we we talked about the state of women's cycling. And I'm curious to hear, how do you feel how things are going and what if anything that you would like to see change in the future now that you're such a seasoned veteran of the sport and podium finisher in a grand tour?
2: To be honest, yeah, I was racing with Ears in 2014. So definitely when I look at that year, a lot of things have changed. Like uh I like to see that we have a lot of races next to the men's races. So that gives us bigger opportunities to like be visible. We can, I don't know, we get more media attention when we raise Liege or, or Amstel, which we didn't have like even three years ago, four years ago. To be honest, I feel like I'm not a person who is like looking for little holes and like trying to make things better. I kind of accept what we're having right now. Maybe because I'm in a good position where I'm surrounded by amazing people. I have a great team and... I'm just like amazing support. I don't have to worry about anything. So I'm not in the position where I kind of struggle with something or I wish the things were better because for me personally, everything is amazing. It's just, I do what I love. I work with amazing people. And I, yeah, there's, I, it never actually crosses my mind. I don't think that I would like to have something different or get more other stuff. Definitely, I feel that. We're improving just by the fact that we have more races and there are more stronger teams in the peloton. Cause like, even when you think about like 2016, there was just Rubble Bank who was winning. And now you have so many teams that are capable of winning and like so many riders that are eager to attack and to make race hard. So it's not about just one team anymore. And then you see that, okay. So there are more people who actually really care about the sport. And now, right now, we can watch all our World 2 races online or like the last 40 minutes like is broadcasted, which we also didn't have before. So there are some little steps made, I would say, every year. And to me, it's great.
1: I'm interested to hear with all your experience in the sport um, and, and successes what sort of advice would you give to, to young female up-and-coming cyclists wanting to turn pro?
2: I think just like keep, I don't know, maybe thinking or imagining themselves doing what they want to be doing in the future because, or I feel like a lot of times I was just like going to bed and thinking about myself being on the rubber team or being there in the final fighting even though I was not capable of doing it. I kind of like always had it in my mind or when I was training, I would like imagine that, okay, in front of me, there's a finish line and my parents are watching me. And then I would like just cross the, I don't know, a road sign and like raise my hands, celebrating and like feeling it, you know, like having this. Cause I feel like it's all about the emotions and satisfaction that you get from racing. And like, I kind of was training it, like thinking that, okay, this is what I'm going to feel. This is how I'm going to celebrate <laughs> And like when I was racing, then I was thinking about it and like really longing for those feelings. So I felt like that really helped me make those steps because I feel like uh cycling is a very team sport, but in the final, it's basically all about you and your mental strength and how you deal with all the emotions and the stress and pressure and fatigue. So keep believing in yourself and dreaming. Maybe it sounds a little bit corny to keep on dreaming, but... It's it's kind of true.
0: I can say to the viewers that can't see Kasha, I've never seen anyone smile more during an interview than than yourself. I love it. I love your your positive attitude. And to to kind of wind this up, I can't not ask about your relationship with Taylor Finney. I mean, I love this guy. I've known him since he was a bump in his mom mommy's uh in his mother's tummy. But what is it like living with a re- recently retired professional because I, I I have to look at my wife and, you know, see what what changes she had to adapt to of me when I was racing to to retirement. But it seems like you guys have always had a very interesting Team teamwork there like that you guys were both racing at the same time and now you're still racing and and he's retired um, how, how does that work how do you guys make that work
2: it's so very easy because I feel like he's a very understanding person and he loves his life he sees that I'm happy with what I'm doing and I don't know somehow I don't know it just flows so easily I feel like, um, yeah, he's, I don't know. He's an amazing person to me. I mean, I love him so much and he's like so weird and crazy. And he's always interested in so many different things. Like recently he started to work with the wood. He like, uh, he's in love with mountains. He paints like he founds all those different passions that gives him, that give him so much happiness and like seeing. Him being so happy, it gives me also like extra joy to be doing what I'm doing. Because then at the end of the day, we just like connect and we talk what we have done and like what happened to us. And it's like, seems like we're from two different worlds, but I don't know. It's it's just so, really so easy. Like nothing has changed, to be honest. Like I feel that many times I was asked that question, how is it right now when he's not bracing? I would say that it's better, definitely better. Because... He's got this energy that he's not spending anymore on his bicycle because like the last couple of years, he wasn't very happy doing what he was doing. So now he brings this positivity and this energy and love into our relationship. So I don't know. It just just feels very good.
1: That's great to hear. And, uh, I please give, give well, both my and Bobby's love to Taylor. I know he's there somewhere. (laughs) Um, And we really appreciate you quickly. Rushing out of the car after travelling across Europe um, to take some time to chat to us uh, on this on this fine day, um, it's great. It's been a wonder, It's been a pleasure watching you race this season, and it, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to watch what happens next. So thank yeah,
2: you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for having me, guys.
0: And that's it, everyone. That's all the time that we have for this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you again to. Kasia Neoadoma for joining us after that long plane ride from Liège to Italy. You can find all of our past episodes as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism at velonews.com. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. Please continue to show your support by subscribing to this program and please spread the word by telling your friends about us.
1: Get at us on social media at thatisgus and at bobby.julik on Instagram. Quite a few of you actually reached out uh, over the past couple of weeks or so, and that means a lot. We really appreciate it. Some with some suggestions for guests, some with some suggestions for uh, different episodes. So we've taken those on board and uh, keep that coming. Until next week, thank you so much for listening. I'm Angus Morton.
0: And I'm Bobby Julik. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, stay sane, stay calm, and don't forget to put your socks on.
1: Nice.